Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of The Juke Joints. I'm Jacob Whitmer. I'm joined once again by my friend, Aaron New. Sitting on my brand new chair. I, okay, I can't, I can't pretend that we didn't just record like a 20-minute yeah, intro and lose so it. This seems so fake. This seems so disingenuous. Uh, so for those of you who don't know, Aaron's equipment sucks, the big I one. Built, I built my own computer, was it, mm, It's I guess, three years ago at this point? A little over three years ago. And I think it's cursed because I had someone help me out building it who I don't want to mention, but a certain uh, somebody who, uh, well, we won't go into it, but uh, I, know, I know Whitmer, I know you would know who I'm talking about, but I want to dive into details. But anyways. I mean, you're so general right now that there's like a list of 20 people. <laughs> Narrow it down to the one place we worked with someone who's high up and we'll okay, go Okay, so that explains everything. So, uh... <laughs> But no, I'm not, I'm not going to put it on that, actually, because that's, that's not the reason. But I think just the parts I got were uh, not meant to last a long time. So this thing is is kind of is not reliable. So it's been- it only paid like 650 bucks to build it out. And it's like it's like it's 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 a good, strong, powerful PC, but it's got like cheaper parts. So I think it's, they're finally starting to wear out. So you, you pretty much built yourself a lemon. <laughs> uh, well, is this is this my takeaway here? Maybe I don't know. It's like it's it's ran fine, but I think of course like wear and tear, then like abuse over the years with accidentally spilling things on it. Like it's, I think it's finally uh, starting to reach the end of its life. So I gotta or something starting to reach the end of its life. I can't figure out exactly what. Like I feel like it's got to be just one part I could switch out. It can't be the whole system, but who knows? This has been the ongoing series. Like I imagine this is like a sort of mini story that is happening throughout the whole of the show. Is just your constant tech problems. Well, it's like we started off this we started off the show with just absolutely terrible audio. Yeah. And then and then finally they figured that out and now it's the computer crashing, the system software failing and what's going wrong now. Yeah, someday we'll be able to afford to fix it, but right now we got to deal with it. This is one of those things too where because we're on like different ends of the country, like there would be moments where I would just like probably rush over and just be like, Okay, let me look at this display and see exactly. what the hell is happening. But I can't. I mean, you do can that. hop on a flight and be here in like eight hours if you want to, but Yeah, that that'll really salvage everything. Yeah. <laughs> really a really efficient use of time and money there. Oh yeah, truly. Just to be like <laughs> plugging one thing in and go, It's this and then Oh and then I have to fly all the way back here. Yeah. So. But oh well, okay. So <laughs> I think we're up and running now. Everything seems to be working okay. So hopefully we're leaving it holds out. that in. That's that's totally staying in this episode. <laughs> There's no <laughs> cutting of the tech problems. This yeah, that's like this public knowledge. <laughs> but anyways, uh, so yeah. So uh, what's been up with you recently? Well, I bought a mic arm. Mm-hmm. That I was hoping to use to make recording things easier. For those of yeah. you who don't know, I built my own recording studio, I guess. But uh, the way it's set up is that normally my microphone is either sitting on the floor or sitting on a stool that I have in front of me on this futon I sit on, which you've seen in my videos here and there. But um, the problem is that the mic distance well the mic sensitivity with this blue yeti is so bizarre anyway it was certain vowel sounds pick up louder than others and consonants and all these other things but the big thing is that if i really want to get good audio for the show i have to really lean into the mic and i'm sitting on this big futon and i'm like leaning forward and it's really uncomfortable so 
what I thought I would do is buy a mic arm, which for those of you who don't know is like a thing that you can clamp onto a table or a desk, insert your mic in and just move it closer to you. And I thought that would work. And then it turns out that the build of the stool I used to hold the mic up is such where I can't actually use this mic arm that I spent $200 <laughs> on because it doesn't clamp the right way. See, that's a problem I have with like with my arm that I've had for a while. It's it's trying to find a place to fit it. Like you know, I can fit it on this desk because I, f- I found this desk for cheap and luckily it had like enough, like it had the right build so I could actually just screw something onto it. But like in a lot of cases, I can't find a desk like that. You have to like get something where it actually like bolts into the desk. Or I mean, I mean, I don't know. It's, it's I mean the thing it's they, hard the, when you're in college. The or instru- broke. The instruction booklet that I got said straight up like, "Hey, if you want to, you just drill a hole in your desk." And I was like, "Well, I don't know about that." And you could drill a hole right into the and your stool could just become the mic arm. It's just yeah. a portable. You, it was for sitting on, and now it's for just holding this giant arm. Yep, which try that. seems like uh, something that it would not be a wise investment to do, honestly. So. <laughs> But oh my my, what about you? What how have things been for you? Uh, they've been they've been decent. Of uh, trying to trying to switch out jobs here, which has just been a, a nightmare. That's the one thing I like about out here. Out here is you can find a job easily, but with that, the jobs sometimes suck. Mm. <laughs> so I mean, like trying to transfer jobs or like within with within Amazon where I work or uh, or just trying to find something that's a little more convenient and and pays decently. Like it's I don't know. I feel like it's a problem everywhere, but it's just. There's a lot more competition out here, so it's pretty pretty tough. But I feel uh, like the great tragedy is that we all go to college or university to get our degrees so we can get jobs in the professions that we so wish that we can have, and then we inevitably don't end up getting them. Yeah, which is, I mean, I've I've known I worked with somebody last year who she had her master's degree and she spent two years working as a volunteer, like at the park at the park where I worked at. Mm-hmm. And it was a decent gig, but like it didn't pay much, and it was not really in her realm of work that she wanted to do. But that's because that's 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 what she was limited to. That like there's there wasn't many options for her. And finally, she got a job like last last summer or something like that. But I mean, like you, you, even with a master's degree, I mean, I can't imagine a PhD probably have few a few more opportunities. But dropping sixty seventy plus grand on a degree and you can't even get a job out of it is just crazy in my mind. Like I was debating, like, do I need to go to grad school to get my, like, you know, get my master's degree so I can get a decent job? And I'm thinking, that's like forty grand. I don't have. I'm already like fifty grand in debt. Like I may as well pull up forty grand from the bank and just travel the world for a year. I feel like I get more, you know, value out of that. Well, and then at what point too does it become like you're in school for like half your life to finally get a job? Like, <laughs> yeah, what? Like that sounds insane. Yeah, it does. To me, it's never equated. I mean, I get that at some point with the grad school thing, it's like half and half because then you're also getting paid to work and teach in some fashion, mm-hmm. I believe, depending on what you do in grad school. But yeah, it is still odd to me, that whole system. Yeah. That's why there's a, that's kind of a nice thing with, with like our generation nowadays is the, the workforce is kind of moving more towards independence and freelance. Which is, I think, why I probably end up was I was very glad to get my multidisciplinary studies. Yeah, because I mean, because you can kind of well, not I mean, your case, you can kind of broaden your horizons a bit. Because mine's kind of down the middle with with journalism that sort of thing. But you're kind of diversifying. That's one of the biggest things is like diversifying your skill set that I learned, especially after the fact. Yeah, but um, yeah, like moving the workforce towards like independence and freelancing and stuff like that sort of thing. So that's what I've been looking into recently. Is you know, I'm trying to find just a job in the meantime that 
you know, works with my schedule and, you know, I can pay the bills, maybe like deliver food with Uber or something on the side. But uh, ultimately moving towards like having my own business, which will take a few years, obviously, because I got to build it up from scratch. But I know you tried to get your own business running a few years ago. Well, like I tried to get the northbound when I did the radio thing. I tried to get that to be a thing, and it lasted. I mean, I got, honestly, even though it failed, it's still a success in my mind because it was like a, it was a it was a step for me in the direction of saying like, hey, like here's something I'm trying to do, like a project. I had it. I would say successfully funded for about three months, uh, which it fell through. But then I learned like, okay, like I, I I learned my lessons from trying to start a business. I started a business in the first place, even though it wasn't like licensed and all. I mean, I didn't go through that process, but yeah. you know, I had my own venture that was making money, if even for a short time. And I think that was a step in the right direction. So I'm trying to build upon that. Mm. And I'm hoping like. I'm kind of I, I'm trying to sit down sometime soon and write down my own like five year plan and like really set out like here's what I want to achieve when I want to achieve it you know blah 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 so hopefully you know this time in what 2024 I'll be rolling in my own money there being you my go. own boss yeah that's a goal set for the next five years yeah so I got a page pulled up on my computer right now I've got two things pulled up I got uh, the article on the shags which I know we're gonna talk about later oh yeah I got another tab pulled up with uh, a freelancers union where they offer like benefits and all that but they're like I'm looking at all their benefits because they offer like discounts on like insurance and that sort of thing and because I'm an adult who does adult things I gotta I gotta look into that stuff now so isn't that strange like at what point do you realize that actually every single adult is like just a child trying to pretend they know what they're doing that hit me that hit me a couple years ago and that was like the craziest thing that that happened to me like in the past five years was that i look at people like my parents and and a lot of people i looked up to and i'm thinking like they're just older kids like yeah like no one actually has a clue what they're doing they just yeah act like they do yeah which is i mean that's exactly how i am i don't know what i'm doing i'm just doing it <laughs> but uh i don't know it's it's a weird thought i wonder if everyone's like that you know yeah, I mean, like, there's, yeah, you get better at things. You Maybe experience thus provides knowledge just because mm-hmm. people have lived longer. But they're still, like, learning, mm-hmm. to, or at least would hopefully be learning to some degree. Like, to me, like, uh, I guess it depends on, like I said, maybe age and experience. Like, I look at people who are, like, 50s and 60s, you know, I could see them, like, being adult kids. But then I look at my girlfriend's, you know, she's, like, 97, 98-year-old Italian grandmother. And she is like the wisest, kindest, like who I picture an adult to be. <laughs> but then again, maybe maybe she's also a kid. She's just like ninety-seven years old and doesn't move around as much. There you go. But who knows? Well then. So yeah. Speaking of old people, you see this Woodstock fifty lineup? <laughs> I did. I'm. I was interested because I know we were speculating. I remember there was some idea that the Foo Fighters might be on there, but I don't remember seeing them on that lineup. I don't think they're there. I know Miley Cyrus is there, which made me burst out laughing. This was. Um, I mean, uh, I don't Greta know, Van it's... Fleet is there, <laughs> and Robert Plant as well. I'm so glad Zeppelin finally gets to play Woodstock. I will, because it's funny to me because like, okay, so it's not enough. So Robert Plant is playing on the Friday, and then on the Saturday, Greta Van Fleet is playing. So, mm-hmm. like, <laughs> I mean, you, you think could see that maybe that's like overdoing it a bit. I could see. I mean, you could have had a Woodstock that had like the classic bands come back, but I feel like with past iterations of Woodstock, you have like what's new and hip at the time. And honestly, with this lineup. It's not a rock show. It's just. It's not, and it's I, another. And it's another big festival with the band. 
Or but not then, the band, sorry. Well, another big festival with like the bigger bands and bigger names. Like, but then, you find it, like Coachella or, or Lollapalooza or something. But then what makes this difference? Just the historical significance of it? I mean, it's not historically significant. The historically significant one happened 50 years ago. Mm-hmm. I mean, if it's really trying to recapture, the only thing it could be, honestly, is just the nostalgia for people who were either there or weren't there, or, you know? I'm wondering if this is going to be a one-off thing, or if they're going to try to use it as, like, fodder for another another annual festival to have this time, like, the Northeast. I said in the last time we talked about Woodstock that I thought it was doubtful, the success, just because Woodstock 99 attempted to do the same thing and failed miserably. Yeah. So, and now things are even more hypersensitive than they were in the late 90s. We thought things were bad in the late 90s. Oh, boy. I'm kind of, I don't expect this one to have mud fights or anything, though. Mm. Well, who knows? I mean, li- <laughs> as long as it's not like, I mean, I think Burning Man kind of has taken the reins on the new Woodstock with term, in odd. terms of so, just crazy things. So let's read off here. We got day one's The Killers are opening mm-hmm. the scenario. Then Miley Cyrus. Then Santana. Which just seems like mood whiplash to me. Then the Lumineers, the Raconteurs, Robert Plant, and the Sensational Space Shifters. So that's his solo project. Is that his band now? I can't remember how many names he's gone through. Yeah. Nathaniel Rateliff and the Night Sweats. That's a good band. Are they? Yeah. John Fogarty, a.k.a. Creedence Clearwater Revival. Run the Jewels. Okay. <laughs> Should have had Credence Clearwater revisited. Yeah. <laughs> Remember that band came through Morgantown once and I missed it, and I didn't realize it was like I thought it was just like a like a cover band. Wouldn't they just be playing like nothing but the Mardi Gras album? <laughs> <laughs> Everyone's favorite. Uh, the Head and the Heart are playing. Maggie Rogers, uh, Michael Franti and Spearhead, Bishop Briggs, Anderson East, Akon. Akon? What? <laughs> I didn't know Akon was still around. Apparently he is, and he's. And I, I like how it's like he's like he's kind of buried on the list too. You know, he is. He's, he's in the middle of the night. Princess Nokia, John Sebastian of the Love and Spoonful. You think he'll be as wasted there as he was at the first go around? <laughs> you ever see him in that movie when he walks no. on stage and he looks like he's done like twenty tabs of acid before no. walking out? And he's just like, oh man, this is amazing. We're doing it, man. We're just. <laughs> you think he's gonna be that out of it again? Who? Okay, I want. I want like farther down on these lists here with like. Melanie is playing again. She was at the first one, and really, not, and I've listened to her set. It was not that fantastic. They're just trying like, okay, who played the first Woodstock? That's a still alive, b still active. I get guess. them on the get them on the lineup. Well, the Who is still alive and active, and they're not playing. Yeah, I don't, they don't need Woodstock though. <laughs> no, they're playing Wembley Stadium. Yeah, Gr- grandson, Fever three three three, Dorothy, Flora Cash, Larkin Poe, Larkin Poe, which just sounds to me like a Lincoln Park knockoff. <laughs> uh, Brian Cad, Ninet Tayeb, and more. I like how all three of them have and more, as if this is not enough. Oh, that reminds me. This is kind of off topic here, but we played a we played a show in Columbus. Um, I don't think uh, you were on that tour with us. Or no, were you? No, you weren't on that tour with us. That was when we did the weekend with the story told. 
It was uh Yeah, yeah. You, I was on the I was on the tour with Forever Strong. So. Yeah, that's when we had Mason on base for that tour, so you weren't there for that. But we played a show in Columbus at the basement of this pizza place, which was super awesome. Like we had like a lot of people there and stuff. But the opening and this confused the hell out of me until we actually got there. The opening band was called Ann Moore. <laughs> and they were opening the show, so it came out as like like the bands on the bill was like a story told, what's missing, blah 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 blah, and more. And, and I'm more. thinking, who the hell's the other bands? Like, why wouldn't you want to promote them? <laughs> well, it was if like, that's it was the like case, a three piece ukulele folk rock or something like well, that. Well, if that's the case, and the more are playing literally every night. So I know. they they're doing better than we are. Go <laughs> <laughs> them. Okay. Day two is Dead and Company. Is that like a Grateful Dead spinoff? Or that is, that... is that's that's the Grateful Dead with like John Mayer, pretty much. <laughs> Which I mean, quite honestly, okay. is pretty good from what I've seen. All right, Chance the Rapper is following them. Then the Black Keys. <laughs> Have you heard that new song? No, uh, I want to. It's all right. It's a Black that's Keys. Their song. whole catalog is just all right. <laughs> See, I liked them a lot when I was younger, but this new song was just like, okay, like they're they're doing the same thing again. Sturgill one of those, Simpson, one of those bands. Playing. That'd be cool. Then Greta Van Fleet. <laughs> I, had, like, I so I was talking to a friend of mine uh, who works at Fye, mm-hmm. and he was saying, "Hey man," because I was telling him about this too. He's like, "Hey man, people like Greta Van Fleet. They come up to me. They go, hey, you got any Greta Van Fleet albums?'" And I said to him, "And then you know what you do then." You give them Houses of the Holy, and you go, yeah, here it is. This is their first album that you haven't heard about. <laughs> yeah. And their hand in presence. And then, That's and the album then he got on about. a thing like, why would you do that? I'm like, dude, have you seen High Infidelity? That's how the record store is supposed to operate. He's like, oh, I don't understand that. People have <laughs> tastes. And, I went, and that is why you're a plebeian. <laughs> I, I, I want to note on the fact on this lineup that both Robert Plant and Greta Van Fleet are the first... Act on line two of both days. I know. What if right? that was someone a little subtle jab? It's like, haha, same band or something like that, you know? I mean, do you think Robert Plant will guest of Greta Van Fleet? Hell no. <laughs> 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 that would be interesting to see, but I think Robert Plant's just like, I don't want to. <laughs> he was already in the band once. <laughs> like, why does he want to do it again? <laughs> uh, then they're being followed by Portugal, the man. Which I guess makes sense. Their last album was called Woodstock, wasn't it? I think so, yeah. Okay, so there you go. They're cashing in on that one. Leon Bridges, Glary Car- Clark Jr. Glary Clark. I'm sorry, I have a <laughs> speech thing. Edward Sharp and the Magnetic Zeros. I remember playing them. I didn't know they were still around. I guess so. David Crosby and Friends. I want to know who and Friends are. Well,. It's definitely Stills, not. Nash and Young. It's definitely not Steve Stills or, or Graham Nash or Neil Young. <laughs> Otherwise, they would have promoted the hell out of that. <laughs> Dawes, Margot Price, Nako and Medicine for the People, India Ari, some of these I just can't say. Jade Bird, Country Joe McDonald is. Playing. He was the first one, right? Huh? Was he yes, the first one? He, yeah, he was at the first one. He did that, uh, like audience chant. Yeah. The way they have in the movie, they have the little bouncing ball with the lyrics. He'll probably do that again. Rival Sons, Emily King, Soccer Mommy, Sir, Taylor Bennett, Amy Helm, Courtney Hadwin, Pearl, John Robert. Okay, I'm going to try to say this. I am DDB, and more. 
What is Taylor? Taylor Bennett sounds really familiar, mm. but I can't remember. Now, see, I can see why people then start getting irritated by day three, though. Why's that? Be- because this opening thing to me, this opening three artists do not say Woodstock to me at all. Oh, Let- I see what you mean. <laughs> Let's start with Jay-Z. <laughs> <laughs> now, that is not Woodstock. I Not any throwing any shade on Jay-Z, but he's definitely not Woodstock. <laughs> then followed by Imagine Dragons, the Nickelback of the 2010s. I don't know. I might hang that one to Muse. I don't know. I've heard Muse be in Space Nickelback, so I guess it's no, it could be no, no, a variety no, no, of things. Man. As far as far as public hatred goes and of diluting rock music, I would say Imagine Dragons have got that cornered right now. They're All right. pretty disliked. Uh, Halsey after them, which again, I don't really equate to Woodstock. <laughs> and Cage the Elephant. Which I guess okay. Brandy Carlisle, not a, a fan. She's like old Taylor, but just keeps on going. She had a new album produced by um, oh god, who was it? Shooter Jennings. I don't know. I think Shooter Jennings was involved there somehow. I don't know. I, don't know. I mean, I heard her new album and I was like not impressed. Yeah. Janelle Monet. I also heard her new album recently, and again was not impressed. <laughs> you, know, I heard actually. I heard a single off that, and I was really into it, but I can't remember the name of it. It was kind of uh, like, no. kind of out there in a way. The one that stuck out to me was, uh, I don't remember the name of it, but it was like, it it had like a Prince groove to it, and mm-hmm. I think it was because he wrote it, but oh, okay, just wasn't credited for writing it, but it was yeah. like one of the last things he did. Um, I don't know. I saw her like Lemonade video, mm-hmm. and I, I know Beyonce made Lemonade. I'm saying that her new album had a whole album length video for it, which was definitely taking influence from somewhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, Young the Giant, Courtney Barnett, eh, I like her f- first couple records. I wasn't too big in her to her newest ones. Uh, Common, Vince Staples, Judah and the Lion, Earl Sweatshirt, Boy Genius, Rain Wolf, The Zombies. Now, The Zombies could have played Woodstock, but it imploded before they had the chance to. Have they been? Have, have they actually been active at all recently? This is like a one-off deal because I've uh, not heard anything about the zombies. They keep showing up. They keep showing up to play Odyssey and Oracle all the time. Yeah. Like, but I don't know. I mean, time of the season is a jam, but like, it's. I think that's a bit on the nose, personally. Canned Heat will be returning to sing "Going Up the Country." Uh, Hot Tuna, Pussy Riot. So there you go. You got the Riot Girl scene. Uh, Cherry Glazer. I remember them from U92. Mm-hmm. Levin Cali, the Marcus King Band, Victory, Hollis Brown, John Craigie, Amigo de Devil, and then we're closing with Liz Brasher. And, and more. more. <laughs> I don't know. It seems pretty random, honestly. It's yeah, like I don't know. It plays off like it's it's another one of those like Lollapalooza big name festivals under the Woodstock banner, you know. But it's odd because it's like a combo of like big names and then not big names and then also like former big names. Mm-hmm. Like that's the one thing with Woodstock is that you have to give it credit. It it hit the zeitgeist perfectly. I think that's the problem with Woodstock now, as far as I can tell, is that it is both hyper self conscious of its legacy while trying to maintain its relevancy. And I don't really know if those things are congruent with each Mm -hmm. other. 
the whole thing gives me a vibe. Like if I had to compare it to something else I've seen, it feels like Bonnaroo. Mm. Like specifically Bonnaroo. And actually, and I know one of those festivals, whoever runs one of those big festivals booked Woodstock. So I mean, I'm not surprised that there's like the exact same vibe going on there, but it feels like Bonnaroo. I would place my money that it was probably Michael Lang, but could be wrong yeah. about that. Yeah, I'm not sure. Oh wait, is there is the is the Bonnaroo lineup out for this year? Looks like it is. Oh. I mean, yeah, I'm looking at it right now. Well, well, well. It's already the festival season is already fast approaching, and everyone's sort of announcing things. I keep forgetting the yeah, because it's almost April at this point, which is weird. I know, right? Crazy. Yeah, it, like it just started to become spring here, so like I don't know. I, I guess it's rushing in. Mm. But uh, so I don't know. Would you Would you go to Woodstock this year, if given the opportunity? You know, probably not. No. Well, I mean, the funny thing with Woodstock, too, is that even the first one has kind of a mixed legacy. Mm -hmm. The people, the musicians who actually played there said it was overrated. Well, and and from what I've seen, like, I mean, there's like the the personal stories and kind of the, it's more so like the mystery, not the mystery, they're just kind of like a, I don't know what to describe it as. So, so, So it's like iconic in a way that is mysterious. For some reason, I guess you, you described because the movie kind of gave it this like persona of being like this legendary festival. But everything I've seen from it looks like it was an absolute mess. Like I wouldn't want to. I wouldn't. I would. If I had been given the opportunity to play Woodstock, I probably would not have done it. Like here's in '69. Well, and here's the truth too: is that, and this is what the Firefest documentary touched upon briefly. Mm-hmm. The attitude of the music festival now is completely different than what it was in '69. How so? In that. With nine, with the flower child generation and with the hippies, they thought they it was a social movement to go to these festivals, right? Yeah, it was a statement against the authority and as part of the counterculture. And every and like half the artists were very political in what their music was, and everyone was making a stand against Vietnam and against Nixon and against the whole like nineteen fifties deferential society that they'd all grown up in, right? Mm-hmm. Now it's very much like, here, we're just going to go and we're just going to get drunk and stoned. <laughs> That's yeah. it. You know? And the truth is, too, and this is actually something Woodstock is very, very guilty of. It, there is a commerce element to these festivals, which Woodstock could get away with in the 60s and can't get away with now. I mean, the truth of Woodstock is that it was never supposed to be a free festival, the mm-hmm. free festival thing happened because they were ill prepared and didn't have the fence built, and people like just walked right over it. Mm-hmm. And by the time that they were about ready to start taking tickets, there were already half a million people there. So they were like, "Okay, it's free," you know. Mm-hmm. Whereas then Woodstock '94 and '99, everything was like you had the vendors, you had people selling water, you had people selling this and that and this and that. And it was very much a commercialized entity, and that's what a lot of these musical festivals are now. Mm-hmm. You know, people are making money off of it. The artists need to be making money, and everything needs to do that. I think the fact that because Woodstock was free, and because everything was being put on at the organizer's expense, and the audience wasn't being expected to pay anything up, it was just we make do with what we have. Mm-hmm. It made the sort of campfire communal elements to it that I think isn't really part of our more commoditized digital age. At least I don't think it is. Are you talking like campfire and the fact of like people gathering around like tailgating that sort of thing? Like that sort of thing? Or it wasn't even broader? tailgating because they left all their cars behind. 
Yeah. It was straight up like it was people in sleeping bags in a farm, you know, which got muddy as it rained, and mm-hmm. they all just sat it out together, you know. Because I see it. And they had the hog farm and wavy gravy on standby if people were, like, going crazy on bad trips and, you know, mm-hmm. that whole thing. Yeah. But, See, the closest thing I've heard with that is, like, at least, like, uh, I'm trying to think. Okay, so, like, some of the people we worked with at United, went to Bonnaroo one year. And, like, I'm hearing stories of, like, people, like, setting up, like, these big tents, but they'll sell, like, grilled cheese out of the little camping tents. And, uh... You know, you'll have like kind of that social aspect in that way, but most of the time, but but you're talking earlier with people going to the festivals in the first place. Like everyone I've known who has gone to these bigger festivals are there to. They're not there for the music. They're there to party and and likely you know drop some, do some drugs and that sort of and thing. And that's it's the true. difference is that people went to Woodstock for the music. People yeah. are going to this and other things for the party. Yeah, like the party was the byproduct of the music. You know, here it's the other way around. Mm-hmm. It's like the music is the byproduct of the party. Yeah, exactly. So, I don't know. I I I have my own issues with the Woodstock thing anyway and their whole history and place and legacy. So I probably wouldn't have gone. Yeah. The only time I ever really considered going to a music festival was when they did that desert trip thing like a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. And the organizers of Coachella like got McCartney, Roger Waters, The Who, The Stones, and Bob Dylan, <laughs> yeah, and Neil Young to all perform like one after the other, and I was like, "Holy shit, <laughs> that's insane!" That does sound awesome. <laughs> I, I was like, that like literally every like the most important musical acts of the 20th century are all playing one after the other. I was like, that sounds nutso. Yeah, <laughs> I was like, so I that might have been the only time I would have gone, but the ticket price was like insane so I was like nah and then I would have had to have gone out to like Nevada or wherever the hell it was so yeah I <laughs> say I would consider those big festivals like I had well Riot well, know, there's, there's a festival in Chicago called Riot I can't talk mm-hmm. festival in Chicago called Riot Fest that uh, I know Zane went to one year and that was like that's basically just like uh, an adult fancy warp tour in a way mm. you had a lot of like the bigger indie rock kind of alternative bands in that realm and so that, that was a cool festival i think i would still go to this you know if i had a chance to go to chicago for it but like rest in peace warped tour rest uh, in peace it's still a thing it's just not a tour it's just also i don't think it's going to be as good unless they bring back the skate bring back the skateboarding kevin lyman i don't think <laughs> i know he's not going to listen to this but that was what sold it for me it was like i can't skateboard but i just loved standing there watching like bands go fucking nuts on stage mm. and then people skateboarding off to the next to me and then like you know Skull Candy's behind me selling like cheap headphones. I'm like, this is great. Like, this is everything I want. Yeah. But, uh, but those bigger festivals, like, I considered Coachella at one point just because I had friends that lived near there. I could have went and like crash with them. But like Bonnaroo, maybe. Like, that's probably the closest thing to a big festival I'd consider. But like, I'd, like, it's, it's the music I want to go for. Yeah. And I'm probably in the minority there. And no, no, it's just I mean, an I absolute, agree. like, I don't want to go sit in like the sun and the mud for four days, five days. Yeah, and, and you know, the thing too, maybe this is m- me being subjective here, but quite honestly, I, I think a large part of why I don't really have interest in these sort of festivals and things like that is because I don't really like the music that's being played. Yeah, <laughs> like, I mean, that's part of it. A lot of the people they book, I'm like, okay, well, maybe I would want to go to see this one artist, but then I have to sit through like 50 other people who I'm like, ugh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> See, I'm looking at the I'm looking at the Bonnaroo lineup for this year, and like, if I had the chance, I would check it out because you have like the the headliner on Thursday is the Grand Ole Opry, which I find interesting. 
But like you have like it's mixed in with like I mean Fish is playing one day. And I'm early Fish fan, but I'll I'll go watch him live because I think it'd be pretty badass. Mm. Um, John Prine's playing along with Post Malone on the same day. It's like I mean the, the lineups all over the place, but there's there's enough bands on there I could justify paying. No fuck that. I wouldn't pay like eight hundred bucks for. It. I'm sure it's how much it costs. Okay. But, but no, uh, I don't know. Like it's a decent lineup, but it's like like I said, I wouldn't want to go. Okay, it's only three thirty nine. My bad. But I wouldn't want to go because I don't think I would Fisher be there for the right times. reasons. Did uh, you see oh, this? Oh, they're playing on Friday, too. Damn. They're playing Friday, and they're playing twice on Sunday. Yeah, but also, where I live, too, I could go over to uh, you know where they have a Sasquatch out here in Washington. I don't know if you ever heard of that festival. No. It's this big amphitheater on the Columbia River. It's like They call it the Gorge. Um, it's like three hours from here. I can go see fish. Like They play there like five times a year, so I can just drive out there if I wanted to see fish. Mm. Or like dead, like dead and company. Like I don't have to go to uh, Woodstock for that. They're coming through here this summer. Like Courtney I mean, Barnett's playing Bonnaroo as well. Really? She, she's making the circle around the yeah. festival scene. I mean, if you're coming to America, you got to make the most of it. I guess it's a long plane ride from Australia. You're telling me? I think I had a friend, uh, a friend and her boyfriend went there for a wedding, and it was like ten hour flight or twelve hour flight or something ridiculous. Mm. Couldn't imagine sitting on a plane for that long. Let me look and see, because I got this big amphitheater. Let's see. Oh, I go, okay, the, it's called The Gorge, like I said. Um, the two biggest events they have coming up is Dave Matthews again, who was playing again. here when I first Isn't moved. that Isn't that the typical thing everyone says with Dave Matthews? Here comes Dave Matthews again. <laughs> when we were coming through out there, it was like, uh, we, were, we stopped off at this little state park, and there's like some hiking and stuff, and we're checking that out, but it was like a blistering summer day in the desert, mind you. Like, there's no trees through here, because a wildfire just cleared them out. Well, I've seen, yeah, I've been to a Matthews concert. I know what it's like. <laughs> but like, I mean, and then the people coming through there are just insane. But like, let's see, Dead and Company coming through, uh, back in Cage the Elephant, oh, that'd be cool. Dave Matthews, like I said, again. Okay. And then there's a thing called End of the Rainbow, which is just kind of vague right now. <laughs> so that's the kind of vibe of this of this place. Jeez. Yeah. Wow. So if I, if I want my trippy, like if I want my big festival experience, but like, you know, if people there are there likely for the music, I'll go to one of these things. Probably for the same price, honestly. Oh, of course. How much is Dead & Company tickets? Now I'm, now I'm interested. There's a lot of deadheads out here, I've realized. A lot of deadheads <laughs> in this part of the country. Well, of course, it's the West Coast. But like, that's, and, and that's it's like all spawn. it's like people younger than me and people who have you know were there for the OG. So <laughs> we're there for Jerry Garcia. Exactly. Okay, Dead and Company lineup. Okay, Bob Weir, Mickey Hart. Was Mickey Hart in the original Dead? I can't remember. Uh, yeah, or at least he was. He was in it like here and there. Yeah, John Mayer on guitar. <laughs> so. Let me tell you this story, actually. So, Mickey Hart once played here in Morgantown. Really? really? And he played at the Met, and I was working there at uh-huh. the time. And the manager refused to let me work that evening. Ah, uh, why? Because I was in high school, and he knew what kind of show it was going to be. Oh, that sucks. So, and he, he even knew that I would probably enjoy it because of the Grateful Dead connection, but he's uh-huh. like, no, you're too young. Oh my god! So I just I was banned from going to that show. Oh, we can. I mean, you can, it's only ninety bucks if you fly out here. Lawn tickets. But we'll th- we'll we'll throw out a we'll throw out the blanket picnic it. Just and hang just, out and watch and the just dead. make sure not to drink anything that's on standby. <laughs> I mean, literally, most everything is legal out here except like you know certain drugs. So. Well, I'm just saying, the Grateful Dead, man. They they always spiked the punch everywhere they went. 
well, that the fact that weed's legal here, that concert's going to be just Fog City. So, mm. I mean, it's Fog City no matter where I go here, anyway. So that's probably just going to. I mean, literally, I mean, the, the dead, the dead in particular are notorious for that. Their audio engineer was an actual chemist. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> I got to read about that. That sounds like fun. Oh uh, yeah. Speaking of old bands, I know we're talking about the dead, but I noticed you had on the list here, and you showed it to me before we even started the episode. Was the Shags? So here's the story. This is more. This is more an aside, but it's something that I discovered recently, and I felt I needed to talk about because I couldn't let this one go. So recently, I was watching a YouTube video called "Is There Such a Thing as So Bad It's Good Music," and essentially, it was saying, you know, we talk about movies like The Room and Birdemic and all these movies that are like. People watch them and they're really, really bad, but like it's such an enjoyable thing to watch. And he's like, now it's odd because music has this sort of different set of standards. Like with film, there is a right and a wrong way to approach film making technique, but with music, you really can do anything you wish. It just depends on how well you succeed at that. Yeah. So he's like, is there such a thing as so bad as good music? And he listed off. A group of records that he considered like okay maybe this is so bad it's good and at the top of the list was this record by a group called the shags it's called philosophy of the world and he played like a couple excerpts from the record and i went what is this <laughs> and i went and i listened to the full album it's available on youtube that album makes you rethink what music is like, I can't even tell. And here's the thing. Like, you need to understand. Most of you will listen to it and think, oh, no. Like, like this is just garbage. This is garbo. This is, these people can't play. They can't sing. They, they can't maintain the beat. They don't know what they're doing. And the truth is, I listened to it, and I could not tell whether or not this was intentional or not. I listened to the whole way through, and I went, it is just so borderline on the edge of being actually, like, passable mm-hmm. that I can't tell whether or not it's amateur, like, lack of tempo and memorability is intentional or not. Yeah. Because the thing is, you have to understand, it came out in 1969, mm-hmm. which is when a lot of weird music came out. Yeah. I mean, you could say the same thing. You could, you know, you could say Development Underground were amateurish, or Frank Zappa and Mothers of Invention, mm-hmm. or Captain Beefheart on the Trout Mask Replica album, right? Now, all of these things, you could say, oh, it's primitive, they didn't know what they were doing, and yet they're some of the most beloved records of all time. So then how do they get the pass and the shags do not? And I don't know because I listened to it and it is of a piece. It sounds to me like the same kind of avant-garde approach to composition. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I don't know if that's intentional or not. It What's- could just be these people were just robbed of any sense of talent. Well, I feel like it's like you're trying to find, like trying to research it too. Like I did like a little bit of looking around beforehand, and like you can't find any information about them. Like they there's this mysterious album with this band that had they have the one record right. That's like it. The one record. So here's the crazy story too. It's like shrouded here's, in mystery. Here's the backstory of the band from what I could find in my research. Okay, it was a group of sisters living in like New Hampshire. I want to say 
and their grandmother was a palm reader. And their dad one day got a palm reading from their grandmother. And she said, you're going to marry a strawberry blonde. You will have three girls. And when you have them, I will die. But they will go on to be a successful music group. And two out of the three of those came true. He married a strawberry blonde. And then when his daughters were born, his mother died. So then he went... The destiny is that they are going to be famous. So he took them out of school and had them learn to be a group. And the end result is pretty fucking chaotic. I mean, you could argue that they were successful. Maybe. They were successful in that fringe way in that Frank Zappa played their records on radio and called them better than the Beatles. And Kurt Cobain put their lone album on his list of like top albums of all time. Well, aren't they? Aren't they currently like represented by RCA or something like that? Like that band is still like a big label is is you know backing. They were that never band. signed on a big label. Oh well, I saw their Wikipedia article. They're saying they're they're affiliated with RCA Victor, but I'm not sure in what way. I think in a way that they're probably signed to a uh, smaller label, like a legacy. Okay, I see what you mean. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because I, I think they were, I don't know, I had to look it up. I know they definitely played, like, some festivals and things based off of the... Oh, well, what I can see here is the, the album was reissued in 1999 through RCA. Yeah. And BMG. So maybe that's what it was. I think so, because they were definitely were not signed to a major label when they recorded that record. No, I, can, I would oh, be surprised no. if they were. You want to know why? Because you know who <laughs> liked their music and put them on a festival gig? Who? Wilco. Really? Yes. So did they play a show in the 90s then? No, they've played a show as soon as 2017. You're kidding me. Yeah. Because the drummer that, died like, in 2006. Yeah, they got another drummer. Interesting. Is there a video of this somewhere? I think it's somewhere out there, yeah. All right, here I come, YouTube. I got to find this. But uh, it's quite something to hear. I, I don't, It's not my recommendation of the week. Uh-huh. And maybe for the artists out there, they're going to be upset that it's not my recommendation of the week. But it's quite something to hear. Because <laughs> I just, I cannot piece together what that was supposed to be. Mm-hmm. Oh, so I found a anyway. video, a 20 minute video on YouTube. Yep. The Shags at Solid Sound Festival 2017. Yeah. There it is. And- <laughs> oh, man. This is, this is exciting. I'm excited. Are you gonna watch it right now, or are you? Well, as soon as we're done, as soon as we're done recording, I want to edit this episode and pop it on just full volume, just okay. let it go, and then listen to their album and listen and and be overwhelmed by the majesty of my pal Foot Foot. <laughs> I'm just saying, it's pretty insane. It, it that's one of those records where you listen to it and you go, "What even is music? Have I been wrong this whole time?" <laughs> There's a video here too. I found like it's 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 on the same search. It was like the Shags 1972 like live concert, and it's just people like I can't tell. It's like a clip. They look like they're moshing around in the crowd, but I can't really tell. Oh my god! If they were the band that invented moshing, oh man, imagine moshing to that. <laughs> oh lord, those were the days. <laughs> you don't need hardcore heavy music. You just need it's like moshing to. Uh, what's that? What's that one band of U ninety two that was like drone metal that we played? It's like ten minutes long per song. I don't know. There were like twenty bands like that, man. <laughs> but we'll mosh to that. That's 
Like, you gotta be more specific than, like, what was the drone metal band? Like, I guess I you're know, right. Did I, drone metal. Have we ever talked about that on the podcast? Just, like, um, my so, issue with that? Yes, I okay. know we have. Because <laughs> I've complained about it, too. Yeah. <laughs> it was obnoxious. <laughs> yeah, I guess, anyways, wrapping up, because we're hitting our time limit here. Um, we are hitting our time limit. What's, uh, what's your recommendation or recommendations for the week? Well... After the avant-garde, maybe intentional quality of the shags, uh, I'm going <laughs> to... I've been listening to a lot of the Monkees this week, actually. Okay. They're like my guilty pleasure band. Does that include that new record they put out like a year or two ago? No. I did listen to that Good Times record, and it was okay, but Is not... that the name of it? Yeah. I remember, yeah, I remember thinking it was like, this is all right. There were actually a couple songs that like... On there, I thought, like, this is actually pretty good for coming out, you know. Well, I mean, here's the thing, right? Now. It's this... They've done a, a reunion albums in the past. Uh-huh. Um, they, the, the story with the Monkees, for those of you who don't know the history lore of this group, is that the Monkees were, in essence, the first made-for-TV pop band. Mm-hmm. Like, you know how today, like, Nickelodeon and Disney churn out, like, artist after artist, you know? Like Miley Cyrus or Ariana Grande or the Jonas Brothers or uh, Big Naked Time Rush band. or all those people, right? <laughs> like the Monkees were the first of that. They were the first made-for-TV pop group. But what made them like unique in that sense is that they were born in the '60s and rebelled against their creators. <laughs> They did the TV show, and they did, like, the first season of the TV show, and the first two records were, essentially, they were these hired voices, and they were given the material and told how to sing it and how to perform it. And then, being, with half of them actually being studied musicians, they got irritated at being told what to do by the corporation and rebelled for their own creative freedom and actually got it. (laughs) The end result was an album called Headquarters, which was the sound of corporate shills fighting against their masters. But for my money, I'm going to say that the greatest Monkees album is the follow-up to Headquarters called Pisces, Aquarius, Capricorn, and Jones Limited. They put out like four records in like two years, is that what it looks like? They put out, I think, five or six records in two years. Jeez. And they're like full lengths too, which is just like insane. They're full lengths. I mean, I have a very soft spot for the soundtrack to the movie Head, which is another trip on its own. But, like, (laughs) there's only six songs on there. They're amazing six songs, and the rest of it is all snippets of dialogue from the movie. Mm -hmm. But as a full-blown album project, I have to give it to Pisces, Aquarius, Capricorn, Jones. Because it sort of sits in the middle of, like, the monkey's sunshine pop and... Also, like, having artistic relevance and, in actually, innovation. There's actual innovation on that record. The Monkees were the first group to put a synthesizer on a pop album. I'm dead serious. Which record was that? Pisces, Aquarius, Capricorn, Jones. Interesting. Because the Moog synthesizer was built in the mid-60s, and Mickey Dolenz, the lead singer and, quote, drummer, like, bought one of the first models of them uh-huh. and used it on that record. So the Monkees actually recorded an album that was innovative for being one of the earliest examples of having a synthesizer on a pop album. 
and it is really effective to listen to. I think it's their best collection of material next to the six songs from Head. Mm-hmm. But it, it it as we move into the spring and closer to the summer as well, I'd say it's a good record to just put on and spin and just you know enjoy as the temperature warms up. You go for a drive and enjoy the sun, and it's a good record. Okay. Yeah. Especially because here, don't talk about the weather, but it's getting warm. I would say, yeah, it's it's worth listening to. Awesome. So, what about you? You have any recommendation? I've been really digging. So, I, so long story short, like when I get off work, or if like if I have a day off of work, because you know sometimes they're ever staffed, and I'll get like a free day off of work. But I still need to make money, so I'll, like I'll hop in the car and like deliver food for Uber. So I'm pretty much driving in my car for hours at a time, mm. looking for things to listen to, which in this case, just a variety of podcasts. Um, but the one I came across recently, and it was, I mean, it was a show on NPR for years, but, uh, now it's a podcast is a uh, car talk. And I'm not sure if you ever heard of it or listened to it. Uh, no, it's like, it's two very well studied gentlemen from new England. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's really, that's, that's, that's like overselling it a bit. They're really, it's, it's two. <laughs> they're not studied at all. They don't know. No, I mean, they're super smart that I think they're both PhDs in like mechanics and engineering and that sort of thing. So they like, they know cars, which is, and you hear them. And basically the show is people call in when it was still an active show. People would call in and be like, Hey, you know, I have a car problem. And then like, they describe it. These guys would very hilariously correct the issue and tell them what to do. Um, that, that's really underselling it. It's, it's seriously one of the funniest shows I've ever heard in my life. Cause I'm just like it's like an hour a week, and I just nonstop laughing the entire time. Cause these guys they they'll be they'll be talking about normal car problems, but they just bust out laughing at random points. So they'll make these little funny cracks about you know whatever is relevant to the conversation, and it just makes it for like the funniest hour of my week at this point. Well, so well, yeah. there you go. So yeah, Car Talk NPR podcast now or go cartalk.com. I think's where they got the site. Even their website, you log on, it's like those little pop-ups, like newsletters or whatever, like sign up for our mailing list. There's just like, do you want some useless information? And then you put in your information, sure, and then click the button that says, sure, why the hell not? And that's, <laughs> and now you're on their newsletter, so. Yeah, it's a good go. show. Quite nice. Well, with all that said, I think we've done our bit here for today. I think we're wrapped up. So, that he is Aaron New. I am Jacob Whitmer. If you look up our anchor.fm little page, you will see our social media sites linked in there. Yeah, it should be available on your podcast platform of choice as well. Someday we'll get listed on Apple if they ever decide to respond. I don't know why. It's, oh, well. But someday, so yeah. so judgmental. <laughs> you know, I think, I think when we submitted the podcast, when we started it, it was during the holidays. And they specifically said during the holidays, we're not, we're not accepting submissions. And I just don't think they ever got to us in the backlog, so... Well, there you go. So now I got to figure out how to work around that. But someday we'll be on Apple Podcasts, but every other platform, podcast or podcast platform, we're available on. As far as I know, um, yeah, all the information in the show notes, uh, like our social media and that stuff as well. You can also uh, subscribe to us on there, which would be cool. Leave us a rating review, and uh, that would be cool as well. Jacob, do you have anything else you want to add? No. That ends it all. Then all right. That's the end of the juke joint for this week. Uh, I'm Aaron. That is Jacob, as has already been stated multiple times. And we will see you next round. Bye-bye.